James chapter 1. We'll read verses 21 through 25 in just a moment. Imagine that I, uh, I sent you directions to a park, a beautiful park, the lake for fishing and swimming, games for kids and adults, great food, fascinating opportunities, learning opportunities, uh, a park that's full of interesting people and delightful conversations. It's just a marvelous place. And when you got the directions, you read them straight through, top to bottom, took note of Anything in there that seemed confusing to you, you read and appreciated lines like turn right at the big oak and follow the winding path up the hill. So you started memorizing the directions until you were able to recite them verbatim, like, kind of like we do with the Bible verses. And you regarded some of those lines as so beautiful, just like poetry, you said, that you set some of them to music and you sang them. And then you gathered with your friends to study the directions, and each week one of you would give a lecture on various steps in the directions, and you parsed the verbs that were in there, and you researched the etymology of key words. The one thing you didn't do was go to the park where I was waiting for you. I waited, but you never came. You thought I'd appreciate the fact that you learned the directions so well, but I was disappointed that you never got to enjoy the park. And we never got to enjoy it together. All right, let's move a little bit. God gave us a Bible. We read it. We appreciate some of the poetic beauty of its lines. We set it to music and we sing it. We gather weekly to discuss it. And you know me, I parse verbs and I research the etymology of key words. But do we ever do what it says? We read it, we study it, we talk about it, we sing it, but do we ever just do it? The biblical writer James had seen that kind of thing that I'm talking about, and it frustrated him. And he wrote, this is chapter 1, verse 21, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that's so prevalent, that's a preparatory step, and humbly accept the word planted in you or maybe more literally, and in meekness receive the implanted word, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but doesn't do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he's heard, but doing it, doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. <clears throat> now, in my illustration, I, I talked about a set of directions. So just for clarity's sake, I need to say something so we don't get the wrong idea. The Bible is more than just a set of directions. Some people treat it like that's all it is. It's not. It's a story. It's a, it is a witness of God's revelation of himself to us through Jesus Christ. It contains insights, teaching, examples, stories, truth claims, commands. When we come to the Bible, we're not just looking for things to do, but for things to know, ideas to grasp, ways to think. The Bible is a work of art. And it's also art that works. We shouldn't treat it as if we're just a set of directions, like the kind you get at Google Maps. But there are things for us to do. 
If we study and teach what the Bible says and categorize its doctrines and argue over its points but never do anything it tells us to do, we are missing out. If we don't do it, verse 25, we will not be blessed. So how can we engage with the Bible in a way that does justice to what it is and helps us practice what it says? Well, we need to come to the Bible prepared. Preparation is important, whether you're coming here to hear a sermon or you're going into your room at home to read a passage. But how do you prepare? Our preparation should should include, as James says, getting rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. The psalmist said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. But it's also true, if I regard iniquity in my heart, I will not hear the Lord. A major reason people don't get anything out of the Bible is that they're unwilling to get something out of their lives that is obstructing their relationship with God. If you're one of those folks, and I've heard this more times than I can tell you, who say, well, I just don't get anything out of the Bible. Make sure your relationships with God and with others are not being hindered by something in your life that shouldn't be there. How do you prepare? Next, you come humbly, or as I mentioned, in meekness, accepting the word, receiving what it says. James is writing about the word of God as it was proclaimed, but I believe the same is true of the word of God as it was written, as we have it in our Bibles. You're not coming humbly if you're only coming to find support for your positions or fodder for your teaching. You know, I've heard pastors say something like, well, that'll preach something they're reading. But what is it saying to you first? You're not coming humbly if you think you already know it all. You're not coming humbly if you're unwilling to make whatever changes are necessary for you to respond to the word. And that leads us to the next point about preparing to engage with the scriptures, whether here or at home. Come fully resolved to do what you understand God's word is telling you to do. You have to be resolved from the beginning. I am resolved. I will do what I know God wants me to do. James says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. It's impossible to overstate the importance of being prepared when you come to the Bible to do what God tells you. The single worst thing in terms of spiritual health and well-being is to hear God's word, know what you must do, and then not do it whether through procrastination or mere stubbornness, you will grow deaf to God's voice. It won't be long before you don't hear him speak to you at all. But if when you hear God's word and understand it, you do what you know to do, your God hearing will improve. Your wisdom deepen. Your strength increase. Your capacity for joy will be enlarged. Reading God's word can actually harm you if you have no intention of doing what it says. But it'll transform you if you do. James says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Being self-deceived is worse than being deceived by someone else. 
When you are self-deceived, you're not only the unfortunate victim, you are the guilty perpetrator. The word here translated deceive is sometimes rendered in the Greek translation of the Old Testament as make a fool of. When we hear God speak through the Bible and we ignore what we've heard, we make fools of ourselves. At the end of verse 25, James sums up the benefit of preparing to hear and do God's word. The person who does that will be blessed in what he does. Not just blessed in his spirit, not just blessed in his religious practices, but blessed in what he does, his work, his relationships, his life. Now that's reminiscent of a promise that we saw just a couple weeks ago to Joshua. Meditate, God says, on it, that's the book of the law, day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it, then you will be prosperous and successful. Blessed in what he does, prosperous and successful. But that doesn't mean blessed in his or her work life, right? Like farming or teaching. No, I think it does. It doesn't mean blessed in relationships, like with kids or spouse. Yeah, I think it does. Well, what about hobbies? It couldn't mean blessed in hobbies, like golf or whatever. I think it does. But understand the promise is not that this person's work will be blessed or his or her relationships or his or her hobbies, but that he or she will be blessed in them. God's blessing will rest on such a person, whatever he or she does. You want to be that person blessed by God? Then the best thing you can do is engage the scriptures in the way that James instructs us. But how do you do that? How do you engage the scriptures Maybe you feel like you've already tried. I mean, there's millions of people like this. They feel like, I tried that, and it just didn't work for me. I didn't get anything out of it. It went over my head. Well, if that's the case, I want to teach you four methods for engaging Scripture in the hope that one or two of them will work for you. But the methods I'm about to give you are not as important as the principles I just gave you. See, the Bible is not a magic book. It's a true one. Just reading it will not change you or your situation for the better. You must come to it prepared. You must come humbly. You must come resolved to do what you see God is telling you to do. If you do, then whatever method you choose for engaging the scriptures is going to work for you. The Bible will speak to you. Or rather, God will speak to you through the Bible. And that will change you. And you'll come to love the Bible. Now, I'm going to share those four methods in just a moment. Before I do, let me give you some general instructions that apply no matter which one of these methods you use or some other method. And the first one is this. Avoid distractions. By the way, the thing I hear most from people is my mind wanders. We're going to talk about that when we do go deep on Wednesday night. So if that's a problem for you, let me just assure you, that is a problem for everyone I've ever met. But it is not an insoluble problem. Okay? Avoid distractions. Don't make it worse by setting yourself up to be distracted. Go someplace private, if at all possible. Maybe for you, that's outside, on a deck somewhere. Uh, for, I do what Jesus said. Jesus said, go into your room and close the door, and that's what I do. 
I have two doors into this study that I use, and I go and I close them both, even if nobody's in the house. Because I want that sense of it's me and the Lord together. I want to hear what you're going to say to me. Turn off the radio and TV. Don't try to listen to the TV while you're listening to God. Turn off the radio and the TV. Try to listen to God while you're listening to the TV. Just don't do it in reverse. Okay? Set your phone to stun. Set it in another room. Don't take it with you. Second thing. General, general principles for any kind of Bible engagement. Slow down. This is not an obligation to get out of the way. God is not giving out gold stars or brownie points for reading the Bible. He's not going to give you a bigger mansion in heaven someday because you read through the Bible 30 times in your life. Don't rush. Find a way to achieve a thoughtful pace. Thoughtful being the key word. For example, try reading out loud. That's what all the ancients did. No one read the Bible quietly. Everyone read it out loud. That will slow you down. When I'm in the New Testament, I read it in Greek. And it's not because I'm a great Greek reader. I am not. It's because I'm not. It makes me go slow and think about what I'm reading. You are reading to hear from and be with God. That doesn't work when you're hurrying to get it done. Oh, I got to get this passage done so I can get to the next thing. So slow down. And that may mean giving yourself more time. Next, remember that the goal is not to get through the text. It's to get the text into you. Into the way, very way that you think. So always think about what you've read. What it means, why God wanted it said, how it applies. This is the primary way the renewing of our minds takes place. This is critical. Think about what you've read. The Canadian Bible Society did a study, and they found that people who read the Bible don't benefit at all if they don't stop and think about it. Finally, and this is important, don't give up. If you think doing this for a week or so will be giving it a fair trial, you are badly mistaken. You need to do this for four to six weeks at least. You need to do it until it becomes a habit. You need to do it until it becomes you. Until you have a taste for it, a desire for it. When I first started drinking skim milk years ago because my wife bugged me into it, I didn't like it at all. I thought, this stuff's terrible. It's watery chalky and worthless. Now, I can't drink any other kind of milk. I just can't do it. Though I know that in four to six weeks, I could develop a different taste if I kept at it. I could begin to change again. And you will change, but only if you keep reading the Bible. Keep engaging with it. You'll grow to desire it, need it, 
Love it. So don't give up. If you gave up, you gave up too soon. All right, we're ready for the four methods. I'm going to teach you four methods this morning that you can use in your daily life. The first one, which I'm going to take a little longer to explain, is known by the Latin name Lectio Divina. That sounds like it's really must be something important. It sounds impressive because it's Latin. But that just means sacred reading. So Lectio has four stages, and in it you will read a small portion of Scripture. You're not going to read entire chapters unless they're short. You read a small portion of Scripture numerous times, and that has the effect of slowing you down. The first stage is called the Lectio, the reading. You read aloud very slowly, absorbing each word. If it's a story section, try to visualize what's happening as you read. Some people are really good at this. They can just see it in their minds. If you're like me and you are no good at visualizing at all, I can't visualize anything. I close my eyes, it's just dark. But you know what I do in that kind of setting? I pretend that I'm blind and someone is describing to me in great detail what's going on. The play-by-play. Once you've read the passage through slowly, taking it all in, read it again. This time, stop, pause over any word or phrase that catches your attention. Pay attention to all those words or phrases that seem to speak to you. What the ancients call give you consolation. You feel a rise in your spirit. Linger there. Just as an example, yesterday I was reading Psalm 32, and I stopped on the phrase, I will guide you with my eye. And I thought about that. I just stayed there for a little bit. Thought about how parents do that with their children. I even moved my eye slowly from one side of the room to the other, thinking how I have guided my children's attention to something, just with my eye. So I just paused there. All right? Now, so the first stage you've read through twice, out loud, and you have stopped the second time on any word that kind of gave you that consolation, that rise of spirit that uh, intrigued you, that seemed to come off the page to you. The second stage is called the meditatio, meditation. During this stage, you focus on anything that stood out to you in those first two readings. Why did that catch your attention? What does it mean? Why might the Holy Spirit want to speak that to you? How does it apply to your life? Does it say something about your relationship to people you know, about God? In the meditation stage, be careful not to invent a meaning to the text. Some people come up with crazy meanings for a text. That's not what you're doing. That's not what you're doing in this stage. You are circling the text. You're looking at it from all angles. You're feeling it, if you will. One of the Hebrew words for meditation in the Old Testament is the same word that's used in Isaiah of a lion that settled down to gnaw on its prey. You ever see a dog with a bone? We had a German shepherd, biggest German shepherd you've ever seen. And when he had a bone, he would get alone. And he would gnaw it. And, and when he did, he would turn it over and over. And he would bite and pinch and lick and he'd savor that bone that's what we do when we meditate on the scripture we savor it we stay with it we take little pieces of it 
The third part of Lectio is known as the oratio, the prayer, the oration. Now you're going to speak it. In this part, you take the thoughts, the feelings, guilt, if there's any worries, concerns, joys, anything that came to you in that meditation time, and you turn it into prayer. The scriptures become the springboard for your prayers. God's concerns become your concerns in prayer. Your prayers arise right out of what God is saying to you in the scriptures. Right? And then the fourth stage of Lectio is contemplatio, contemplation. Now, at this point, you remain silent for a few minutes. You're simply with God. You have stilled and quieted your soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is your soul within you. And then when you conclude, you just resolve to do anything God's shown you to do in the scriptures. That's Lectio. That's one method. A second method that you may try is to hand copy your Bible passage. You write it out by hand, not with a computer, but by hand. This method is simple and it's useful. It engages more of you than mere reading. And it effectively slows you way down. If you try this method, you will want to copy entire passages, not just a verse here and a verse there. That's useful, but here you're copying an entire passage. For example, over the course of a few days or a week, you might write out the entire book of Colossians or the book of James by hand. You write slowly enough so that you can think about the words that you're writing. You're, again, you're just not trying to get through this. Think of it like you're a scribe writing a text that's going to be around for the next thousand years for people to read. If a sentence seems clumsy to you or difficult, stop and ponder it. When you're done writing one part of that passage, think about what you've written. If you were the original author, what would you want your readers to get out of this? Think about the passage. That is of the utmost importance in whichever one of these methods you use. Keep, if you do hand copying of scriptures, keep your hand copied passages in a notebook. And when you finish the notebook, say you finish the book of Colossians, keep that notebook somewhere. Later on, when you try a different method, maybe Lectio, for example, you can use your own handwritten copy as your text. Third way, to engage with God through the scriptures is to pray the scripture. When you pray the Bible, you're combining two powerful ways of getting to know God, Bible reading and prayer, in one. In this method, you don't read and then pray or pray and then read. You pray as you read. And you read as you pray. So all of us sometimes have trouble understanding what we ought to be praying about. How do I pray about this? Even St. Paul said, we do not know what we ought to pray for. But when we pray scripture, we know we're praying about things God cares about. We have confidence that we're praying according to God's will because we're praying according to God's word. Probably the biggest trouble in my prayer life is redundancy. I don't know if it's like that for you, but I'm sure God sometimes thinks I'm a broken record, just pouring out those same concerns over and over and over and over. And even, you know, I'll be honest with you, even I sometimes get bored with my prayers. Praying scripture frees us from that. 
When we pray the scriptures, our prayers, whether in the form of praises coming out of the scripture or of requests, they come right out of the text. For example, we might read Hebrews 12.1, where the author writes, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And as we read, we ask God to show us everything that's hindering us from reaching his goal for us. We ask him to show us any sin that's tripping us up in our lives. Then if we become aware of a hindrance or a sin, we confess it to him and resolve to be done with it. And we have absolute certainty that we're praying according to his will and we know that he hears us. You can engage any scripture passage in this way, from Genesis to Revelation. But some lend themselves more easily to this method of praying scripture than others. So if you're new to this, you might want to start with biblical prayers. So the Bible's full of them. So try the prayer of Jacob in Genesis 28. It'll need to be contextualized for your life situation. Or the prayer of Jabez in 1 Chronicles 4. Or the Psalms, hundreds of which include or just our prayers. Or pray Paul's prayers in Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 12. It's one of my very favorites. Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Or preeminently, the prayer that Glenn talked about last week, the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. Some of these prayers contain requests you can make for yourselves. Others have requests you can make for your children, grandchildren, friends, fellow church members. They're full of praises that you can speak to God. Now, our church is already practicing this method of prayer. Some of you don't even know that. We're doing that on Friday mornings over in the West Building at 8 o'clock for one hour. People come and they pray through a particular passage of Scripture for Lockwood's benefit. I'd strongly encourage you to give it a try. The other methods that I've mentioned, Lectio, hand-copying passages, they lend themselves to this kind of praying. In Lectio, the Oratio is scripture praying, and especially praying the things that jump out of the text at you. When you hand-copy a passage, you can take some of those things you've written and easily turn them into prayers for yourself and for others. I actually write out prayers like that. Many of you have heard of the 19th century Christian giant, George Mueller. His life was full of absolutely remarkable answers to prayer. He used to pray the scriptures every morning. This was his chosen method. He learned it. He didn't start this way, but he learned it by trial and error. He would read a Bible text and meditate on it, and in his own words, searching into every verse to get blessing out of it for the sake of obtaining food for my soul. And then after a few minutes, he said he would naturally be led into confession or to thanksgiving, or to intercession, or to supplication, so that though I did not, as it were, give myself to prayer, but to meditation, yet it turned almost immediately into prayer. What was he doing? This man is so, so many unbelievable answers to prayer. He was praying scripture. Let me give you one last method. This is the fourth one for engaging the scriptures. Journaling. Now, if you're like me, you hear journaling and you think, ah, I do not, that's a diary, I don't want to do that. Journaling scripture is not like keeping a diary. And journaling scripture, and it's also not like hand copying the scriptures. You are not rewriting the text. You are writing your thoughts, observations, questions, and prayers about the text. 
One format, and there are many of them, but one format for journaling scripture is based on the acronym HEAR, H-E-A-R. The H stands for highlight. You highlight by hand copying one or two verses that stand out to you. The E stands for explain. You write out your explanation as you understand it, the meaning of the entire text or specifically that verse you highlighted. The A stands for apply. You write out how the verse or text applies to your life. Let me give you an example. Say you're, you're journaling Colossians 3, 12 through 17. One of those great passages that ought to be committed to memory. The verse you highlight is verse 13. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. When you get to the A in your journal for application, you might write something like this. I really need to bear, I need to put up with Ashley at work. I'm angry because she's lazy and I end up doing her job. But she's a fairly new Christian and, and I think the Lord may want to bless her life through me. The application, I'm going to put up with Ashley. The, the last letter then of the acronym, H-E-A-R, stands for respond. Here's where you write what you are going to do in response to what you've read and thought. So this is James chapter 1, right? Maybe you would write, I will bear with Ashley today and pray for her every time I feel frustrated and ask the Lord to show me how he sees her. When your journal's full, start a new one. But keep the old ones and review them every once in a while. If you go back and see the things that spoke to you 10 years ago, 20 years ago, you'll be amazed. Four methods. <clears throat> if one of them doesn't work for you, try another. If none of them work for you, make up your own. There is nothing sacrosanct about this. Remember, the point is to engage the scriptures with understanding. The Bible is not a magic book. But it is full of wisdom and instruction that comes to you from God and through God. If you come to go deep this week at Bigby Coffee, which is Wednesday, 645, Bigby, you'll get some firsthand experience of engaging the scriptures in these ways. We're going to have some fun practicing a couple of these methods. It's one thing to sit here and hear them and even take notes. It's quite another to actually do them, see how easy it is and the benefit that you experience. So I invite you to come out. Let's pray now. Lord, I'm asking you this week in our lives, and particularly with people who are new to this, would you meet us in the scriptures and speak to us so that we know we've heard from you? Lord, we're not making any demands on you. But we're just asking, asking you to make your face to shine upon us and be gracious to us. Thank you for the Bible. Amen.